0: If you are able, I would encourage you to rise as we read God's Word from Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 1 to 14. Hear the reading of God's Word. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah, the prophet, sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal had all departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisath, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, and Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, "...plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters into marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream." I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So far, the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your word, for the truth that we find in it, for the joy that we see in it. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would carry my words now to these dear ones gathered here today, that because of your power, your strength, you would mold, you would shape, you would enrich and encourage those that are gathered here. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So today's message is is a bit of a hodgepodge of something or of sorts. So this thing called community that we talk about and throw around often in our circles has many books, tomes of books, countless pages written about it. And so a lot of what's going to be said here today is, is not original to me, but is, is begged and borrowed and stolen from, from folks that have written and preached and taught on this sense of community for many, many years. It's a conglomeration of lectures, of sermons, and of my own thoughts. So it may be a little bit different kind of sermon this morning than what you're used to, But I I hope that at the end of it, we'll see just what it is the Lord has for us in this city, as this church for this city, Arlington, Texas. Before we got into last week and we were in Joel and now we're in Jeremiah, we have been in the prophet Zechariah and we know the context in which that's operating. At least I hope you do. I hope you do. If you don't, let me just refresh your memory. Zechariah was prophesying a time where the people of Jerusalem had been exiled into Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar had sieged Jerusalem, took them into captivity, and for 70 years they were in Babylon. And they have now returned, and Zechariah is ministering to them. Here, Jeremiah is one that stayed in Jerusalem during this exile and is now writing a letter to those people that are in exile into Babylon. Tracking, So there are a little bit of contemporaries, but, but also not really. But in order to understand Jeremiah, I want to give us a little bit of a history. And it's going to be some Old Testament history, but it's important to what happens in Jeremiah 29. It's vital to understand what's happening. So during the decades before Jeremiah's birth, Jeremiah, the prophet that we just read, the country Assyria was the one that was in power. They dominated the Near East. King Manasseh of Judah became an Assyrian vassal. This was an abomination to the Lord. He swore allegiance to the Assyrian deities and, and worshipped idols. We see that in 2 Kings 21. And that was during the most, most of his reign, I should say. As a result, the kingdom of Judah became a spiritual wasteland. Manasseh's son, Amon, followed his father's Negative example during his short and brief reign, as we see also in Second Kings twenty-one, and when some of the palace servants in Jerusalem assassinated Amon, his eight-year-old son Josiah was quickly crowned king of Judah. Just imagine that my daughter is nine, so imagine Mary Beth becoming queen of the United States. That's just a little bit of what's happening. She's the queen of our home, but imagine that she's the. Queen of the United States. Is she sitting here? I don't know if she is or not. But this young boy, Josiah, now was king. And he actually served the Lord and rejected his father and his grandfather's support of paganism. In his twelfth year of reign, so he's 20, still a young man, right? Um, he decreed that the pagan idols and altars should be destroyed, Second Chronicles 34. In his eighteenth year on the throne, he funded the repair of the temple so that the priests and the people of Judah could once again participate in the worship of the one true God. And during these repairs, something remarkable was found. This thing called the Book of the Law, which people had forgotten about, which they had forgotten even existed during Manasseh's reign. It was recovered. And so now, clearly, Judah's sin in Jeremiah's time, its teaching became significant basis for Jeremiah's prophetic ministry. He said, here is the book of law. Now reconcile that with what the Lord says and we need to understand our sins and what we have done wrong. Jeremiah was born into a priestly family. Born into this family in which he understood all of these things in a small town of Anathoth a few miles outside of Jerusalem. He was then familiar with God's relationship with Israel and the covenant that God had made with all of His people. That knowledge then was enhanced by the recovery of the book of the law. Jeremiah's ministry began in about 627 BC, soon after the book of the law was found. King Josiah's death and the battle with the Egyptians spelled the end of revival in Judah and the beginning of the end of the nation. And so between 612 and 605 BC, the Babylonians now came into power and they crushed the Assyrians and beat back the Egyptians. Judah's security and prosperity ended as the Babylon as Babylonians began to gain control of the region. And so then we're crouching in on Zechariah and the exile. Between 605 and 586, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon attacked, defeated and finally destroyed the kingdom of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. But before the captivity took place, we read in chapter 20 we would read in chapter 27 of Jeremiah. He illustrated what was about to happen by making a wooden yoke and fastening it around his neck and explain this is an image of what will be coming your way. Judah will be subjected to the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar because of her sins for a lengthy period of time, for 70 years. He warned the people not to listen to the false prophets. He warned them not to listen to their promises, that judgment, it won't come to them, for they're God's people. We saw this in Zechariah too, or Zechariah also, didn't we? And so in chapter 28 of Jeremiah... The false prophet Hananiah took the yoke of Jeremiah and ripped it off of his neck and destroyed it, saying, this will not be your task. This will not be your fate. But then in only two years' time, by chapter 29, Nebuchadnezzar had come, had destroyed Jerusalem and taken God's people into exile. And so now in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 29, the words of the letter which Jeremiah penned to the people in exile in Babylon is what we read here this morning. It's sent to the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother, the court officials, the princes of Judah, and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the smiths had all departed from Jerusalem. Remember in Zechariah, Zechariah said all these people fled in the middle of the night, right? They were all scared, and they took tail and ran outside the city walls in the middle of the night. These are the people he's talking about. And Jeremiah lays this all out for us. The letter was then sent by the hand of Elissa, the son of Shaphan and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. And so now we're in Jeremiah 29. And I hope you begin to see how wonderful and interesting the story of the Lord actually is and, and what the context is behind the people. So here is an intense letter written to people that are in exile who are wondering, who are we? How did we get here? Why are we here? What do we do now? We're away from our homes. We're away from the people that we love, the things that we've loved, and the things that we've always known. For good or bad, this is what we knew. It's who we are. And now Jeremiah writes him a letter and says, this is what the Lord says to do. If you are in this city, Babylon, here's what you are to do. And those three things that we're going to look at, the, what we're going to look at here this morning are these three things. He says to them in verses five to seven of Jeremiah 29, He says, to settle in the city. Settle down in the city." And then verses eight to 11, he says, "Seek the peace of the city." And then in 12 to 14, he says, pray for your city. So the first thing he says to these people, again, something horrendous has happened to them. They've been stripped away from their homes, from their jobs, from everything. And the Lord says to these people who are familiar with Jerusalem and now unfamiliar with Babylon, settle. Settle here in Babylon. Settle in the place where you are in exile." Make this your home. It says in verse 5, build houses. And don't just build in them. By the way, go ahead and live in them too. I don't know why Jeremiah says that. Build houses and then live in them. Right? And then when you live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives and become fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease And he says, this is going to last for 70 years. This is a generation. This is what you're going to do for a generation of people. You're going to build houses. This is going to be your home. Plant gardens. Eat the fruit of your labors. Make families. Grow families. Settle here. Make this your home. And in verse 11, he says, I know the plans I have for you. Perhaps one of the most... Perhaps one of the verses that is most widely taken out of context. This is not a verse that says God's going to make you rich, He's going to make you wealthy, and everything's going to be okay. That's not what this is saying. Remember, this is a letter to people in exile. It's a letter of of hope to a people for a new heaven and a new earth, a new day, a new city in which the Lord reigns, in which things are prosperous in the Lord's economy. But in the meantime, Build a house, live in it, make a family, plant a garden, live well, and settle in this city. So he says, I know the plans I have for you. Not a promise of a perfect life now, but a promise for a perfect life in the new heavens and the new earth. But at the same time, they're not to be corrupted by the city. right? As we see in John chapter 17, Jesus says, Be in the world, but not of the world. Build houses in this world. Make families in this world. Plant gardens in this world. Live in this world. But don't be of the world. Friends, we're in spiritual warfare. We don't often think in those terms in our circles. But the enemy does not want us to flourish. The enemy doesn't want us to build houses. The enemy doesn't want us to plant gardens. The enemy doesn't want us to make families. The enemy doesn't want the people of God to live well in the city in which we find ourselves. The enemy wants to instill fear. The enemy wants to instill anxiety, nervousness. He wants to instill to us doubt. Did God really say that to you? I don't think so. Remember he said that to Adam and Eve too, right? Did God really say that you're going to? No. He wants to have us on our toes of instability. But the Lord of hosts says, live well on this land. Live among them. Babylon is home. And I am your God. Why? Because God actually sent them there as we see in verse 7. God says, live in this city of Babylon where I sent you into exile. God has a plan for his people. He knows how they will flourish. He knows how they will do well. But we see that the Lord often works in this way. The Lord often causes people to be in exile in order that they would grow in Him. And this isn't just an Old Testament context. It's also a New Testament context. In 1 Peter 1 and 1 Peter 2, elect exiles were called to live among the believers for a time in order that they would know the Lord more. So in 1 Peter 1, it says, Peter is an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you have proclaimed the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. What is he saying? Live well in this land. Build houses. Make families. Have jobs. Have careers. And do it for the glory of Jesus Christ so that if, if someone does say to you, then we are found blameless and faultless because our work, our motivation is to the glory of the Lord. He says proclaim the gospel. Proclaiming the excellencies of Him who called you out of the darkness into the light. And 1 Peter says to live honorably, to live in honor among our neighbors, to live out our lives that they too might come to glorify God. I was talking with someone this week, and uh, I was showing this person the new building. Um, there's someone that has the potential that may want to rent one of the offices. And this person, we started talking and this person asked me, why? You're, you're a church. Why are you doing all this? And it's there the door is flung open then, right? The door is flung open to have a conversation. I'll tell you why. Because the Lord Jesus loved me and has called me to live and work to eat and to drink and to play in this city. And we want to open these doors to you, this city, because this is what the Lord has done for us. He's embraced me. He's loved me. And in turn, then, I want to live and embrace and love my neighbors just as Jesus has loved me. And this person said, I've never heard anything like that before. That is absolutely amazing to me. How can I be a part? So these are the kind of things. What does it mean? And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. This is for the sake of the glory of Jesus. He brought this. He's doing these things. Why? Because we're living and we're playing and we're working out our lives in this city. And because we love this city. But it's often that God does use dispersion to scatter His people to advance His kingdom. We think of the book of Acts, right? We think of the new world where we are now, right? We're in the new world. We're not in Europe, but we're in the new world. Martin Luther has, I'm going to paraphrase drastically, so just hear me out. This is going to be a drastic paraphrase. Martin Luther has an interesting uh, way of looking at this. And he says, Christians are oftentimes like manure. He says, when they're gathered around in one place, they smell. (laughs) But when they're scattered, they can do a lot of good. So the Lord often scatters His people around the world to do a lot of good. Scatters us around this city to do a lot of good. This is normally how the Lord works. So what does that mean for us? What does all of this mean for us here now this morning? Settle somewhere for a length of time. Become a part of this community. Become a part of Arlington, Texas for all of its warts, for all of its wonders. Be a part of this city. Why? In order that we can have an impact for Jesus and he can work through us. So how do we do that? What does that look like for us in this congregation? I can't give you specifics, but I can give you suggestions. Find ways to be a part of this community. Find a way to be integral in this community. Don't stiff arm the community and say it's a big, bad, evil world out there somewhere. Embrace the city. Embrace the people of the city. Find ways to not be merely against it, not separate from it, but, but be in it. Find community events. Find organizations. Find something that you enjoy that you can be a part of and and allow yourself to be a light find programs embrace the identity of this city if you are a leader in this city i was a part of something called mission i mean leadership arlington that's one thing there's all kinds of things like that i was talking with someone who this morning before church they're part of arlington golf community how can we be a life as we play golf if you like golf There's all sorts of ways that we can be in our city and be lights in this city. Embrace it and love it. Find ways to say, this is my home. These people are my neighbors. And I'm going to live like it. And I'm going to love like it. And Jeremiah says, don't only settle down, but also seek the welfare of the city. Verse 7 specifically says that commands us, commands the people who, mind you, again, were from Jerusalem, were exiled into Babylon, a place they did not know, did not want to be, probably was their enemy, and they had done horrendous things to these people. The Lord of hosts says, seek the welfare of the city. Oh yeah, the place I've sent you into exile. That's what verse 7 says. What does that mean? I think, Ryan thinks, that that's pushing us towards a sense of shalom. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace, but it's a, a much larger word than just peace. It's, it's a peace of all things, of all-encompassing peace in all areas of life. Peace between us and God, peace between us and our neighbors, in our jobs, in our churches, in our workplace. Everywhere is this idea of shalom. So how are we to seek shalom in, Jeru- in, in, in Babylon? This is what Jeremiah says is saying, this is what the Lord is saying through Jeremiah. So how do we do that? We further the public good, even though, as what these people were saying and felt and knew, even though they were enemies and exiles in Babylon, as Psalm 137 says, how shall we sing God's song in a foreign land? We're to be in the world, but not of the world. It's complicated, and I get that it's complicated. It's not easy. It's not black and white. But this is what we're called to do, to seek the welfare of Arlington, Texas, to seek the shalom of Arlington, Texas, not just between us and our nice, comfortable circles, but the entirety of Arlington, Texas, the entirety of the Metroplex. This is our call, because this is where God has called us to be. For however long you are here or for however long you're not here. We're here now. We're in this place now. This is who we are to be. We're not to be against our neighbors, but we're to be for them. We're to participate in the things of the city. In politics, if that's where we are. In government, in arts, in agriculture, in sports, in business, in the industry of this city. Don't just automatically go somewhere else. And also, to seek the welfare of the city means that we don't have an opportunity to just coast through life. Well, somebody else will do it. Somebody else has that call also. That's that's Ryan's job, to seek the welfare of Arlington, Texas. That's the elder's job, the deacon's job, the Sunday school teacher's job. That's all of our job. That's what we talked about last week, too, on our mission. As we're in this city, we're to be on this mission, to to have a goal, to, to be in the welfare and to seek the welfare of this city, to think of ways to make this city a safer place, a more merciful place, a more just place, a more humane place, a place where all can flourish. Make this your home. Build houses. Plant gardens. Raise families. The cheesy saying is very true here bloom where you're planted. Arlington is not just a point between Dallas and Fort Worth, it's a special place. It's special because this is where the Lord has us and where the Lord is moving and acting. So settle here. Seek the welfare of Arlington. But also, pray. Pray for the welfare, for the peace, the shalom of Arlington, Texas. The second part of seven, verse 7 of Jeremiah 29 says that exactly to us as well, doesn't it? And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. It's simple. If we strive for the welfare and the goodness of the city of Arlington, Texas, our lives will get better. <laughs> not perfect, not easy, but if Arlington flourishes, we flourish. If Arlington flourishes, flourishes, Redeemer Arlington flourishes. So we are to be about the place of this city, of, of restoring this city, of living and working and playing and ministering in this city. Because the better it does, the better we do. But I understand that that's overwhelming for many of us. And so when we feel that, pray. Pray. When we see crime, when we see political maneuvering, when we see injustice, when we see cruelty, when we see the dark side of our city, pray. Pray, how is it that I, perhaps, could seek the welfare of this city? If the people of Jerusalem could pray for Babylon... A country that just attacked them and destroyed their homes, their jobs, leveled their city. We can pray for Arlington, Texas. Psalm 122, verses 6 to 9, give us an answer. An answer to a question. Because I think the question that we would have when I say pray is that you may say back to me, Okay, great. But what do I pray for? How do I pray, Pastor? What does that look like? Well, God anticipated that question and He gives us the answer in Psalm 122. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that they may be secure in those who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers' and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. What do we pray for? We pray for the actual city as we see. And pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for this city that it would have peace. Pray that it would be a safe place, not only for you, but for your neighbor and your neighbor's kids and grandkids. Pray that it would be secure. Pray that it would prosper, that it would do well, that it would flourish. Pray that it would be safe. And pray for the blessing of God upon her. We all have work to do as exiles, not from Jerusalem, but from the city of God. For we are exiles from that city, and the Lord has planted us here. And so we seek its welfare, we seek its goodness, and we pray for it. And so then what do we do? We point this city to the king, we point this city to the king of kings who can provide us with this lasting shalom. For we know that we can't do that. We can't provide it, but only the Lord can. To point them to a king who gives them a foretaste of the new heavens, the new earth, of real shalom, of real peace, in order that they would know the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, to whom all authority has been given, who can tear down the wall of hostility between neighbors, businesses, politics, And we do that through word and we do that through through deeds. Not to be at odds with each other in here. Not to be at odds with our neighbors or our co-workers. Work for the peace of the city and to eliminate suffering. Work for peace between God and people. This then provides us a platform to share the gospel. Why are you doing this? Because I have a Savior who loves me despite my faults, despite who I am. And I would love to share with you more about who this Jesus is. And so then we outreach as well, right? We share the gospel. We share the love of Jesus Christ. This isn't in Jeremiah. This is from Ryan. Don't give up. Some of us are very tired. Some of us have been walking along this path for a considerable amount of time. Through financial stresses, through numbers stresses. Don't give up. For The Lord goes before us. And we're just starting this process of entering into the city. We've been doing it for a long time. Eternity is a long time. And we're just starting. We may be discouraged. We may not even, some of us may not even know where are we going? How are we going to get there? I'm not sure. And we may even be experiencing opposition from the enemy. But that's what Zechariah said to the people of Jerusalem, too. It's also what Nehemiah said to the people as they were tasked with rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem after they have returned. Don't give up, the Lord goes before us. But the only way that we can settle. The only way that we can seek the welfare and the only way that we can pray is because we know that the Lord goes before us. Is because the Lord has not exiled us from Himself, but rather He was exiled on our behalf. He was exiled into the pit of hell in order that we would be drawn close. He was exiled to the point of dying on a cross. He was exiled to the point of bearing a crown of thorns of taking nails to his hands and his feet in order that we could be drawn close. You see, he's the one that built the bridge not over the train tracks that dissect Arlington, but between the gap between a righteous God and an unholy people. Jesus settled in by taking on flesh away from the throne of heaven. He settled on to this earth to become one of us. He established peace by suffering and dying on the cross and by rising from the dead on the third day. And He's bringing flourishing to this world and to this city. And Jesus even prayed on the night before His crucifixion. He prayed to the point where tears And sweat became drops of blood, even as we said this morning in our proclamation of faith. He prayed for His people, for the city, for the world. And then He went to the cross on our behalf. And He laid down His life willingly so that we would have shalom and so that we would have a vision of what community actually looks like because this is what Jesus has done for you. Friends, may we settle in Arlington. May we seek her welfare. May we pray for her because this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks and praise for how you love us and how you care for us. How you are our God, our friend. How you've wept for us how You died for us. How You live for us. And so Lord, may You instill in our hearts and our lives a joy to settle in this city and to pray for this city. Thank You for Arlington, Texas, and for putting us here today, this week. We give You thanks. So watch over this city. Watch over the mayor, the city council people. Watch over the pastors, the elders, the deacons. Watch over business owners, small and large. Watch over school teachers, school administrators. Watch over students. Watch over mothers and fathers. Watch over sons and daughters. Watch over husbands and wives. Give us shalom. And may you bring shalom to this city, the city of Arlington, Texas. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.